This podcast is a production of Faith Living Church. If you like what you hear, join us for church sometime in our Plantsville, Connecticut location, Saturdays, 6 p.m. or Sundays, 9 and 11 a.m. or online anytime at faithlivingchurch.com. But I want to talk to you this morning about amazing dads, amazing dads. Now, when Don called home from the road one evening, he spoke briefly to his nine-year-old daughter. Honey, could you get your mommy on the phone? He then heard Tasha blurt out as she set the receiver down on the counter, Hey, Mom, the invisible man is on the phone. In that moment, even before his wife got to the phone, Don went through a transformation. He couldn't laugh it off this time. He had to face the fact there's something more important than achieving success at work. It's being a dad. And being invisible is not so amazing if you're a dad. But being there and sticking with your your family and helping to hold the family together, now that's amazing. In, in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 8, it says, And yet, Lord, you are our Father. You are our Father. Uh, you know, how did Jesus teach us to pray? When you go to pray, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed, you know, be thy name. Anyhow, uh, where he says it here, and yet, Lord, you are our father, and we are the clay. You are the potter, and we are all formed by your hand. Okay. Okay, John, you're on the back row there. This is a big blob of clay. I wonder if I can hit you from here. I mean, not hit you, but get it to you. You know what? I probably better not do that. I don't have my glasses on, you know. It would be embarrassing if I couldn't make it to the back of the church building there. Anyhow, you know. But you know what? The Bible says this is what you and I are like. Of course, we're not green, but... But the, the God is molding us and shaping us. And he does that in the very beginning. But you know what? Also, not just in the very beginning, but God has continued to shaping us and, and molding us into what he wants us to be. Have you ever felt God shaping you? Ouch. Oh, ooh, ooh, ah. And God is making us and shaping us to become more and more and more like his son, Jesus. Anyhow, it says here, And yet, Lord, you are our father. You are our father. We're the clay. We are. You are. All of us are the clay. And you're the potter. And we are all formed by your hand. We're the workmanship of our father who is a potter. In nature, the single parent family is the overwhelming rule in nature. And that parent is almost always female. From building a nest and gathering food to giving birth and protecting their young, females do it all. Male involvement rarely extends beyond the moment of conception in nature. But there are some notable dads in nature who provide some parental care. And I want to just identify a couple of those. Male parenting is virtually unknown in insects. But one striking exception is the giant water bug. The male becomes a virtual beast of burden, beginning with the mating process when the female latches onto him until she is ready to lay her eggs. As many as 150 eggs are cemented onto his back. The male will carry this load for the next month, aerating 
his cargo by performing elaborate deep knee bends and warding off parasites by sunning himself at the water's edge. After three weeks, the eggs will triple in their size and the male will stop eating altogether so as to avoid accidentally eating his new offspring. That's pretty amazing. Uh, sticklebacks are carnivorous river fish. The job of protecting the fertilized eggs goes to the dad. Using secretions from his kidneys to glue together odd bits of vegetation, the male builds a sturdy nest. And after the female lays her eggs, the male fertilizes and flattens them into a sheet against the bottom of the nest so that another layer of eggs may be laid on top. Up to seven layers of fertilized eggs may be collected by the male over a period of one to two days. Next, he aerates the eggs by fanning water through the nest. He inspects his clutch constantly and will pick out and eat any egg that die or become moldy. Once the young sticklebacks hatch, the male, protect, the male protects them for up to a week by gathering wayward fry in his mouth. Little ones try to get away. He goes and collects them in his mouth and spits them back into the nest. It's pretty amazing, you know, and you don't eat them or anything. Uh, parental care in amphibians is extremely rare. One exception is found in a family of neotropical frogs. The male Panamanian poison arrow frog is responsible for sitting on the eggs and keeping them hydrated with moisture from his skin. He also bears the job of carrying the newly hatched tadpoles to water on his back. That's pretty amazing. Deer mice. Dads, they pitch in by guarding their young when the female goes off to feed. Males have been observed hovering over their young, surrounding them with nesting material, and even washing them. Studies of rodents... Rodent species have shown that pups reared in the company of both parents survive better and grow faster than those reared only by the mother. The male emperor penguin is entirely responsible for incubating his mate's precious egg over the long Antarctic winter. And once she lays the egg and he puts it on his feet and they walk in, inland substantial way and the egg is on top of his feet not on the ice not on the snow and then his feathers fur feathers whatever that penguin has he kind of goes down over top of it and he keeps up that egg there throughout the whole duration of the incubation time anyhow he does this inland while the female returns to see to feed his success depends entirely on his fat Stores. If a male gets too thin, he will abandon his egg and try to go back to the ocean. Being fat, males are consequently creatures of great worth, and females have been observed fighting over them. Once the egg hatches, the male produces milk from glands in his esophagus to feed his chick. That's pretty amazing. The red fox, which we actually saw a red fox on the way to church just a little bit ago. Ran across the road in front of us. A male red fox is a devoted mate and father. Not only does he supply his mate with fresh food every four to six hours while she nurses her pups, but he is equally dedicated to teaching his offspring survival skills. Males will bury food near the den to train pups how to sniff and forage and will play ambush games with them to teach them self-defense. The animal kingdom has some amazing dads in it. The book of James chapter 117, it says, whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God our father he's pretty amazing who created 
all the lights in heaven, and he never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us, our heavenly father. He chose to give birth to us. And and let me say this for all you guys who are here and all you guys watching online, you are not an accident. You are not a mistake. No matter what anybody else says, the Bible says here, he chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. Wow. We, you are God's prized possession. Now, you know, I'm sure uh, my dad, as kids, we were his prized possession, but I, I know my dad taught automotives in a vocational school, you know, all of my life, and uh, he had some other prized possessions. I don't know. Y'all probably remember one of my prized possessions. is a flashlight. It's like, I'm never, hardly ever without my flashlight. And, uh, but when my dad went to be with the Lord about 20-something years ago, uh, I inherited this. This is a little pair of pliers. My dad always had these pliers in his pocket. And he helped dozens upon dozens upon dozens. I almost want to say hundreds, and I don't think I would be very far off. Hundreds with the S on it uh, because he was a phenomenal mechanic. He instructed. He, he was an instructor on how to work on airplanes in the Air Force, and he was an instructor. You know, if, uh, he, after he'd worked in uh, the Buick dealer for some time, his education qualified him to be the instructor at the vocational school as a part of high school. And all the guys he taught, most of them went into the automotive industry, you know. Um, but he always had these pliers, and it was amazing what he could do with that little pair of pliers. And somebody broke down on the side of the road, he'd get them running with that little pair of pliers there, you know. And uh, I remember that at least once, these little pair of pliers were lost in our yard somewhere, you know. And that's why there's a few little pits on them here. It's all cleaned back up. But when he found it, oh, man, that was phenomenal. And then when I inherited these, when my dad went to be with the Lord, I carried them all the time. And then I lost them twice. And uh, anyhow, you can tell I found them, you know. And I was so delighted because it's very, very valuable was to my dad, and that makes him even double valuable to me because he carried them, you know, all of my life, you know, that I can remember. He always had them, and he'd pull out a splinter and do all kinds of things, but he did a lot of work on cars and got people going who were stranded somewhere with a little pair of pliers. And then this is just this past week. Was it this week or last week? It was this week. I was at a, a nice little store, one of my favorites, Tractor Supply, you know, and I was picking up some dog treats and some things like that, and I found these little, I'd never seen them. This is right here. Now, I think this is a, a male pair of pliers, and I think this one is a female pair of pliers. Um, is, that, is that not right? These are really good. Oh, okay. But but this one here can grab something that's a lot larger, you know, because you can get it on a bigger boat, nut, and, and things like that. And I picked them up and I said, wow. And they're just about the size of my dad's players, you know. That's pretty cool. I mean, it's, it's a very valuable, you know, uh, it's a treasure, you know, to me. that It really is. Anyhow, <laughs> I better get back to what I'm talking about here. <laughs> Who knows where we may end up on this, you know. But it says here in verse 18, he chose to give birth to us. God chose that. You're you're no accident. Don't let anybody ever try to convince you that you're an accident or a mistake or something other. Because God chose to give birth to us. You know, by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his 
prized possession, and we're more important even than a pair of pliers are to me, you know, or, or to my dad, you as a human being, you know, God's child, you are his prized possession, you know. And our children need to know that they are our prized possession. Our kids need that affirmation often that you're my prized possession. You know, dads, we need to communicate that by our actions as well as our words. So, you know, God does not substitute gifts and presents for his presence with us. He, he doesn't. I mean, the most valuable thing we have in, in, in this concept is the presence of Almighty God because he created us and he can do anything and everything. And Hebrews 13.5 says, For God has said, I will never fail you. This is our, our Papa God, our, our Father God. You know, you might call him daddy or, you know, whatever your term for your father would be. I know it's the first thing I said, you know, this morning when I woke up. It was like, happy Father's Day, you know, to, to my papa, God. Anyhow, it says, for God has said, I will never fail you and I will never abandon you. Never, because we are his prized possession. Matthew seventeen fourteen says... When they, talking about Jesus and the disciples, they arrived at the foot of the mountain, a huge crowd was waiting for them. And a man, who happened to be a dad, he came and he knelt before Jesus and he said, Lord, have mercy. I mean, kindness and compassion on my son because he has seizures and and he suffers terribly. And he often falls into the fire or into the water. This is what the dad is telling Jesus here. Now, you know, authentic, really amazing men aren't afraid to show affection. They're not afraid to show affection or to release their feelings. How many of y'all know that men have feelings too? But, but lots of times, you know, it's passed from generation to generation, well, men don't cry. You know, they just don't cry in public or, or, or when anybody else is around, but they cry. And if we can get to the place, I kind of suppress it. The older I get, the more I cry genuinely praying or reading or studying or, or going over something with somebody. It just wells up inside me and we fight it all so people don't know, but men cry. Men got feelings. Men got emotions. They genuinely do. And uh, we need to allow our kids to see that and we need to hug them and, and never be ashamed to give them a, a hug or, or a kiss or something like that. Uh, and real amazing men, they admit it when they're wrong. Has any, any man here ever been wrong before? Every hand's up, okay. Those hands that are not up, you're wrong right now, okay? So get it back up there. All right. Anyhow, and, uh, you know, men, amazing men, are not ashamed to ask for help when they need it, genuinely. Anyhow, let's get back here. This dad was asking for Jesus to show mercy on his son who has these seizures and who suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. Verse 16 says, so I brought him to your disciples. But they couldn't heal him. They couldn't do anything. But that dad did not give up. Well, if Jesus' disciples can't do anything, nobody can do anything. That's what a lot of people might think. But this dad, he did not give up. He, he stuck with his son and he stuck with his plan you know, to find help for his son. He did not give up. Verse 18 says, and then Jesus rebuked the demon in the boy and it left him. And from that moment, the boy was well because the dad didn't give up. The disciples couldn't do it, but 
this dad had a son. He just, he waited. He did whatever he had to do to get to Jesus personally. And he found help for his boy. You know, amazing dads is what I'm talking about. And I, I don't know if you ever watched the movie um, Iron Will. I think it's a very worthwhile movie to watch. I watched it many, many years ago. And the setting was in this wonderful, you know, snowy wilderness, log cabin, and, and there's a stream going through there, and they did sled rides and sled dogs and sleds, of course, and all. But one day, the, the uh, dad and his son had gone out to cut wood because that's how they heated their home, and they loaded up the sled with all this wood, made it really heavy, and they're coming back on the, the river that was there that was frozen, and the dogs was pulling them, and right about the time, almost back to the house, the ice started cracking, and the sled started sinking into the river. Now, you know, in a pond or a lake, if you fall through, your high chances are you're going to come right back up in the same place, and you can be rescued, or you can get out. But when you're in a river, when you go under the ice, the water is moving, and it carries you somewhere where there's no opening. And so if the dad's going down, he's back there driving the sled and his son had jumped off and grabbed the sled dogs and he's pulling them and he's hollering at them and pull, pull, pull. The current is pulling the sled and dad down and down and down and down. And the boy is pulling the dogs and he's trying to get them to pull the sled and his dad out of the current of the river there and the dad's telling his son, get away from the water. And the, the sled going down is pulling the son over into the water. So dad comes up out of the water. He'd gone down one time. He came up out of the water and he, he took his knife and he cut the, the leads that went to the sled dogs. And dad and the sled went down under the ice and he gave his life. And as far as I know, I don't know if I ever found him. But the thing was, he was a dad. And dads are amazing. Because he saw his son was very much like him. And he went about to give up. And he saw that he knew the son was going to be pulled under. Because he was just pulling with those dogs and the man cut the leads that led to the dog team and the dog team and the boy fell over in the snow because of the sacrifice that dad made. Dads are amazing. There's something that God has put into dads that makes them amazing and, and they make some tremendous sacrifice, you know. Now, maybe your dad, maybe your dads weren't so amazing, you know. Maybe there was another fatherly figure that came into your life somehow and, and mentored you and coached you because our world is kind of crazy and everybody's not exactly the way they should be according to this book here. But God, he is always amazing for us and he sends people into our lives who, who nurture us and help us and inspire us. Um, Matthew chapter 8 verse 5 says, when Jesus arrived in Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him. Now, Roman officers don't usually plead or beg for anything. Roman officers usually order and their orders are carried out. But here is a Roman officer, a man of great power and influence, and it says he came and he pleaded with Jesus. Verse 6, Lord, my young servant, Young servant, a young servant, lies in bed, paralyzed and racked with pain. Now, to this Roman officer, his servant w was more like his child than a servant. This Roman officer, whether he had any other kids, I don't know. But he saw this servant as as his own child. He saw him that way and cared for him that way. And th there's this father-like something in us that causes us to want to be an inspiration and a help to all kids if, if God has deposited that within you. 
anyhow, it says here that he, he made that statement. My young servant lies in bed, paralyzed and racked with pain. Verse 7, Jesus says, he said, I'll come and heal him. I mean, it's good as done. Jesus, I'll come and heal him. But we have so much. Dads, we have so much to learn from this story in the Bible. And then the officer said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come into my home. There's, there's real genuine humility. He says, I'm not worthy to have you come into my home. I mean, Jesus said, I'm going to come and heal him. I mean, how many of us would put that off? It was like, okay, let's go now, you know. But this Roman officer, a man of integrity, he said, I'm not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are, right? Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. I know. The Roman officer... I just say it from where you're at, and my servant will be healed. And he, he'd already been hearing about Jesus and probably saw Jesus do a few miracles, and he understood this thing, and he says, I know because I am under the authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I understand authority, and I only need to say go, and, and they go or come, and they come. And if I say to my slave, do this or do that, they do it. But this Roman officer could not say be healed. He didn't have that power. He did not have that power, but Jesus did. You know, so he clung to Jesus. He clung to the experiences he had heard about and read about. He clung to Jesus in his word. He understood that Jesus could speak something and it would happen. And he was clinging to Jesus on behalf of his young servant. Verse 10, when Jesus heard this, Roman officer, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to the crowd, he said, I tell you, crowd, I tell you the truth. I haven't seen faith like this in all the land of Israel. Now, dads, this passage is amazing. It, it has an amazing kind of faith that the heart of a father would want. This is the kind of faith, if you read that and you study that and you meditate upon that and you memorize that and, and grasp what's going on, you can have the same authority that this Roman officer had. You can. God wants you to. He wants you to walk in this authority and not be pushed around by the enemy of our soul all your life. You can take this. Anyhow, he says in verse 11, and I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world. Now, Gentiles did not have a covenant relationship with God. And they will sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven because the Gentiles will believe what God says. They'll believe it. And then he says, but many Israelites, the people who did have a covenant, who did have this promise extend to them, but many Israelites, those for whom the kingdom was prepared, they're not going to believe in Jesus. They're not going to believe his words. And they will be cast into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And there is a real genuine heaven and there is a real genuine hell. There is. Anyhow, Verse 13, then Jesus said to the Roman officer who, who had this amazing faith and, and was like a, an amazing dad, Jesus said, go on home. What you have believed has happened. Now I want you to know that wasn't just to a Roman officer. That is to each and every one of you guys. What you have believed has happened. Did you know that you can believe? And faith comes by hearing God's word. And, and what you believe is going to happen. How many of you believe that God can work miracles today? How many believe that you're a failure and you can't ever get anything from God? Whatever you believe is what you're going to get. We have an enemy of our soul who tries to get us to believe that God's not real or God don't help those. But you can. On behalf of our kids, we'll believe and we'll get a hold of God and we're not going to turn loose. And 
He's telling us this. Going home, what you have believed has happened, and the young servant was healed that same hour. Dads, what do you believe? First Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 says, Be on guard, stand firm in the faith. Be an amazing dad, solid like a rock. Be men of courage, be strong. Don't be a wimp. When, when, when it comes to the topic of faith, don't be a wimp. I said, don't be a wimp. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. It's like I'm going to roll up my sleeves and I'm going to fight for the faith that God has given me and he wants to operate in me. I'm not going to let the enemy in my soul, the devil, take over. Me and my family, I'm not going to be a wimp. I'm going to put on the armor of God. I'm going to fight the good fight of faith. And the good fight is the one that you win. And Jesus said to the Roman, what you have believed has happened. Anyhow, 1 Corinthians 16, 14 says, and everything you do must be done with love. He said, be on guard, stand firm in the faith. And he says, and everything you do must be done in love. You know, it takes courage to demonstrate love. But see, the Bible says faith works by love. Faith works by love. Love is a battery that goes in the flashlight. Love is the gasoline that goes into the car. And if you don't have the love for God and love for your fellow man, your faith ain't going to accomplish very much at all. And you wonder, well, how come I can't? It's because of your love. Your love for God and your love for your family and, and those in your sphere of influence, we, 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 we've got to demonstrate that love. Some guys uh, think that love is a sign of weakness or something or another, and that's, that's a lie. Anyhow, his name was Rusty, and he was barely 11 years old, and he still had the look of a little boy. He was homeless. Not old enough to be hardened, but certainly old enough to be frightened. And his mother lived in town, but she didn't want him. And Rusty lived in an alley behind the shop of one of our church members. And he slept in a cardboard box. And in an effort to get legal custody transferred to a Christian foster home, a little group met in an attorney's office. Rusty, Rusty's mother, a social worker, an attorney, and a pastor. They were... Uh, suffering all legal ties between Rusty and his mother. And she did not care. The attorney carefully examined, explained to Rusty's mother what was happening. And he wanted to make sure that she understood that, in effect, she was losing all rights to her boy. Everyone was on the verge of tears, all except Rusty's mom. And then came the question. The attorney worded it carefully. Mrs. Brown, do you understand that when you sign this form, you are signing over all legal custody to the designated children's home? She nodded her head in affirmative. Mrs. Brown, do you have any questions? She had only one. Do I get any money out of this? She asked. Everyone seemed dazed by this sledgehammer question. And there was a long pause, and finally, 11-year-old Rusty, he pulled out his wallet, extracted the only dollar bill he had, and he earned from sweeping floors, and he gave it to his mother, and she took it. In less obvious ways all over America, there are parents who are trading their parental responsibilities for the almighty dollar. Kids should not have to grow up by themselves. Let's paraphrase this a wee bit. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own children? Hmm. Well, I'd like to look at the book of Luke, chapter 15. Here we see the prodigal son who finally returned back to father, but we see a father who was a man filled with faith and filled with expectation, a man who prayed. Luke chapter 15, verse 11, it says, To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man 
a father. He had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide the wealth between his sons. All right then. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings, moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. Not just be hungry, but he began to starve. And he persuaded a farmer, local farmer, to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. Now, a Jewish boy, that's a real, real low blow to find yourself the only job you can get is feeding pigs that you would consider unclean. And the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. I mean, pig food was looking really good because he was starving to death. But no one gave him anything to eat. Verse 17, and when he finally came to his senses, there's a window of opportunity appeared before him and he came to his senses. He said to himself, at home, and his dad had a very wealthy estate, at home even the hired servants have food enough to spare. Actually more than enough. And here I am dying of hunger. Actual starvation was setting in. And the prodigal's father had a very good reputation being kind and fair and generous. Anyhow, the prodigal son, he said in verse 18, I will go home to my father and say, Father, he's just talking to himself here, and I'll say, Father, I have sinned. Well, that's some hard words to say sometimes, isn't it? I have sinned. I've I've aimed and I've, I've missed the mark against both heaven and against you. I've sinned. He, he has come to his senses for a period of time here. Verse 19 says, And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant so I can just get room and board and not die. The, the prodigal, he He's saying, please give me another chance. Let me just earn my keep. So he returned home. This is what he's saying to himself. I'm going to do this. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, he was a long way off. His father saw him coming. How did that possibly happen? Father was a man of prayer, of great faith and great expectation and every opportunity. He looked down that road. He had been praying for his son. And he looked down that road and when he saw his son coming down that road, he took off running. He wasn't embarrassed to run in front of the rest of the family, run in front of all of his servants and things like that. He just took off running to get to his son as quick as he could get there filled with anger and criticism. That's not what I said, is it? Filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son. He embraced him and he kissed him. He could not wait to show his son the love and forgiveness that he had for him. He couldn't wait. He ran there as quick as he could get there. Some men find it hard to say, I love you. And I challenge you all to say those words with your actions as well as your words. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. He felt his guilt. He said, I'm just going to be a servant. I'll be your servant. Verse 22. But his father said to his servants, Quick, call everybody here. I'm going to show them my son's crawling back on his hands and knees. Is that what he's doing? 
He didn't ask for an explanation for, from his son. He just told his servants, he says, quick, bring everybody here. So he says, I told you so. I'm a... No, he didn't do that. No lectures, you know. He never said, I hope you learned your lesson. But this is what he did say. Verse 22, but his father said to the servants, quick, quick, bring the finest robe in the house. And you know whose robe that was? That was dad's robe. Go bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. He says, cover over those tattered, dirty, pig-smelling clothes so nobody else sees that. Get my best robe and bring it out here quick and put it on him. And Dad said, quick, go get it and put it on him and get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet because the, the serpents did not wear shoes or sandals. And the servants surely did not wear any jewelry. It was only the sons had a ring. And only the sons wore the sandals. And he said, you go get my, my best robe and put it on and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And then we're going to walk back to the house together. And what he is saying here is that he had retrieved his son back into his original position because his son said, I have sinned. And he gave his son back his original position. You are my son. He just ignored where the son was saying, I'll just be your servant. Just give me room and board. Papa just totally ignored that and brought his son back into the place of highest honor. How loving and forgiven are we? Verse 23, and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. The son deserved a reprimand. But dad gave him a celebration. And you got to understand this prodigal son's dad is representative of our heavenly father. Genuinely is. Verse 4 says, for, his son, for this son of mine, my prized possession, for this son of mine, he, he didn't say, hey, wife, your son's back. <laughs> you know how you hear that in some families sometimes? Your daughter's on the phone. <laughs> they both had a part in it, but it's like, it's your daughter, honey. Well, the father here, that's not what he said. He said, for this son of mine, my prized possession, he was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Oh, man. God's attitude toward you and me in Hebrews 8, 12, it says, and I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. And that's talking about you and me. And that's what our heavenly Father says about us. Going back over here to the prodigal son story, and it says, and meanwhile, the older son was in his fields working, and, and when he returned home, he heard the music and, and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants, what was going on? Your brother is back. The servants were all excited. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fatted calf. Oh, man, we have some delightful uh, foods in there, and we're celebrating because of his safe return. And the older brother was angry. And he wouldn't go in. And I'm going to challenge you, don't ever be angry that God forgave somebody. You know, well, I know what that person did. I know how bad they were. God, how could you possibly, for they hurt me terribly. How could you possibly forgive them, almighty God? Don't ever be that way. Has God forgiven you? Is that okay with you? Have you ever made some mistakes? Thank God, and we need to, Rejoice with those who God has retrieved like this prodigal son here. He says in verse 31, his father said to him, oh, let me back up here a second. 
Verse 29. No, verse 28. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. As our father would say, you forgive your brothers and sisters. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all this time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Truth of it is, he split the money evenly between both of the boys. And though the prodigal wasted his, his the older brother, never took advantage of it. He never accessed the blessings that his dad gave him. He could have had a goat or a fatted calf every week if he had wanted to. Verse 30 says, Yet when this son of yours comes back, this is the older brother, after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf? And his father said to him, Look, dear son, he loved them both. They were both his prized possession. Look, dear son, you've always stayed by me. And here he says it again. And everything I have is yours. Remember, I gave it to you. It's yours. We had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost. But now he is found. And we should always rejoice when a man or woman or boy or girl, no matter who they are, where they're from, when they come to know Christ, we should rejoice. The Bible says all the angels in heaven rejoice when one person comes to Christ, all the angels in heaven. First John chapter 3, verse 1 says, See how very much our heavenly Father loves us, for he allows us to be called his children, and we really are. We really are. That's not fictitious. We really are his children. Psalms 103, verse 10. It says, he, our father God, has not punished us for all of our sins. We wouldn't be here if he had. He has not punished us for all of our sins, nor does he deal with us as we deserve. Verse 13, the Lord is like a father, an amazing father to his children, tender and compassionate. Verse 14, for he understands how weak we are and he knows we are only dust. Let's go read you one story. Dad's glimpse of heaven. His last words left us was something to look forward to by Edna Hirschberger. At 4 a.m., the nurse woke Dad to give him a breathing treatment. Mr. Hirschberger, do you know where you are? Goshen Hospital. He answered politely and closed his eyes again. She wrapped the blood pressure cuff around his arm. Mr. Hershberger, who's the president of the United States? Dad looked at me, his daughter-in-law, with an expression that said, do I have to answer these silly questions in the middle of the night? She raised her voice. Mr. Hershberger, who's the president of the United States? Do we have one? He asked her, good answer, Dad, his daughter-in-law teased. The nurse laughed loudly, gave him a mock punch on the shoulder, put an oxygen mask over his face, and turned on the noisy machine. I guess you're awake and alert. A week or two, that's how long the doctor said that Dad might live. And we wanted to make the most of every minute. I was glad to sit with my father-in-law during the night while my husband, Dwight, sat on a sofa in the visitor's lounge down the hall. Sweet memories. I brushed the damp hair from his forehead. I wondered how it feels. I wondered how it feels to know that you're, you'll soon see God. It feels good, Dad said without hesitating. It's such a mystery. Tell us what you feel and, and see and hear to help us understand what you're experiencing. I'll try, Dad promised. 
Are you scared? No, he said. I feel at peace. I've, I've been wishing to go to heaven all day. That was Tuesday night. In four days, Dad was to be transferred to the nursing center where he hoped he'd never have to go. I thought about Dad falling asleep and not waking up. There were some things I, I wanted to tell him. Hey, Dad, soon after Dwight and I started dating, he told me what you said about me. You told him he had picked a good one. You told him that I was a peach. And no one ever called me a peach before. And I've loved you ever since. He squeezed my hand and he, he closed his eyes and I'd better quit and, and, and let you sleep, I apologize. No, he said quickly, I want you to keep talking. I just can't keep my eyes open. Suddenly, Dad jumped as though startled by something and I sat up and I held both of his hands in mine and I put my face close to his. Is something wrong, Dad? And his eyes were open, but he didn't seem to see me. I'm leaving. I, I thought I heard him say in, in a weak voice, did you say I'm leaving? I asked quickly, I'm leaving, he repeated more distinctly. He surely couldn't mean dying, not yet. I tried to think of some appropriate last words to say in case he really, this really was the end, but my mind went blank and, and I started to say, I love you, but he interrupted me with one word. It sounded like cold. Oh, oh, you're cold. I'll reach. I, I, I tried to reach for the blanket, but he wouldn't let go of my hands. And he tensed. And quickly he spelled it for me with emphasis on the G sound. G-O-L-D. Gold. G-O-L-D. Gold. And silver. G-O-L-D. I was shivering. My heart was pounding. I leaned my head against the cold metal bed rails. Lord, please carry him gently, I prayed. We love you, Dad, I kept repeating. And as we looked, as we took, as he took four long shuddering breaths and then was still and his hands became limp. I should call the nurse, I thought, but I couldn't move. I sat there in the darkness holding Dad, badly bruised hands with intravenous fluids still running into them, and my forehead seemed fused to the bed rail. Tears ran down my cheeks. Six inches from my face, something supernatural had occurred, something far greater than my mind could absorb. I knew God was in the room, but I couldn't see him or feel him. I longed to be able to see what Dad had seen. I gently laid Dad's hands on the bed, and I walked out to the nurse's desk. I dried my cheeks and I blew my nose. Excuse me, I said. My father-in-law is gone. And she jumped out of her chair. What do you mean gone? He just died, I said with a sob. That can't be, she stammered. He was just joking with me just a few minutes ago. She grabbed her stethoscope and she rushed into his room, turning on the lights and calling his name. And I walked down the hall to tell my husband that his father had just gone to heaven and there really is gold there. Psalm 68, verse 4. Rejoice in his presence. Verse 5, talking about God, Father to the fatherless. You know, that's me. My dad went to heaven over 20 years ago, and Susan's dad did too, a year or two before. We're fatherless. He says here, rejoice in his presence, Father to the fatherless, defender of widows. That's my mom who's sitting here. She's a widow. And Susan's mom, she's a widow. This is talking about it. Rejoice in his presence. 
in our Father God, our Papa God's presence, rejoice in his presence, Father to the fatherless, defender of widows. God places the lonely in families. That's what he, he does. That's why he has a church. Because lots of us at times are lonely and things aren't always perfect. God places the lonely in families and he, he sets the prisoners free and he gives them joy. There's just so much. We can talk about the fatherhood of God and, and the fatherhood of us and what God is trying to mentor into us and to forgive us of our past and help us to move forward. And, and I just want to say to all the, the dads who are here and all you guys who are watching online, the enemy of our soul makes us all feel like I've really missed it. I, I could have did a better job. I've really blown it. I've blown it big time. And the enemy of our soul would use that and try to drown us in all that. But you don't know your father, God. You, like the prodigal son's dad looking for his son to return, expecting any moment. And we come to him and he forgives us. And we move forward from this day as amazing fathers. As amazing fathers from this day forward, no matter about the past, he has forgiven us. He loves us and he cares about us. What I would like us to do real quickly here is just to pray for all the dads who are in this room right now. So if, if you wouldn't mind one more time, just stand into your feet so we can identify you. Then we're all going to close our eyes and we're going to pray for all you dads and all you who are at home. Would you please stand? Along with your guilty feelings and whatever else, it don't matter. Papa God, I ask you to bless these men and I ask that you'd forgive these men and, and cause faith to rise in their hearts and their souls and remind them of your love and your compassion and your call into their lives for noble things. Bless these men wherever they be in other places or those who are in this building. Bless these men, these great men, these great dads, almighty God, and forgive us and just use us as amazing dads for the rest of our life. Oh, Papa God, thank you for your mercy, for your love, your compassion, and your grace. Give these men the faith that rises up, that they can identify with the authority you've entrusted to them, Almighty God, and may they access all that you have presented to them, that they will impact their own children and, and other children that comes into their lives, that they will impact them in a dynamic and an awesome way. Bless these men, I ask, and those who have the heart of a father. Though they may not have children of their own now, we ask that you would bless them and enrich them because they got the heart like that Roman officer who may have not been a dad, but he had the heart of a dad. Bless these men in body, soul, and spirit. Work miracles in their life, we ask. And all those who agree with that joins me and says, Amen and Amen. And amen. You may be seated. And uh, what I'd like to do is to pray for all of us here right now. Uh, just and, and, and we got to do this drawing for the man bastard. So don't take off. Just give me a couple minutes here. But I'd like to pray for you all to reaffirm your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you would bow your heads with me and reaffirm your faith or declare your faith in, in Almighty God today with me, I would appreciate it. And, my wife would join me up here. Would you join me right now as we pray? A prayer that you may have prayed hundreds, thousands of times before just to reaffirm your faith in him. But would you join me right now or declare your faith for maybe the first time? Dear Heavenly Father. Dear Heavenly Father. I believe that you love me. I believe that you love me. That's why you sent your son, Jesus. That's why you sent your son, Jesus. I believe he gave his life for me. I believe he gave his life. A tremendous sacrifice. A tremendous sacrifice. And I believe he rose from the dead. And I believe he rose from the dead. 
And he's knocking at the door of my heart this day. And he's knocking at the door of my heart this day. And I open wide that door. And I open wide that door. And I accept Jesus. And I accept Jesus. Into every area of my life. Into every area of my life. And I surrender. And I surrender. All of me. All of me. To you, Lord. To you, Lord. I receive you as my Savior. I receive you as my Savior. As my Lord. As my Lord. My Master. My Master. And my soon coming King. And my soon coming King. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.